the Section K Podcast. Today's Tuesday, October the 29th. We've got an absolute banger of an episode today. We were fortunate enough to have a nice little Skype call with the 2019 Open Snaffle Bit Fraternity Champion, Mr. Lance Johnston, who rode Here Comes the Boon for the Open and Intermediate titles. Lance uh, took uh, some time out of his day while he was up getting ready for another cow horse show in Idaho, and uh, we can't thank Lance enough. I thought the episode was unbelievable, and after watching Lance's show, I could tell he was a cool guy, and after sitting down with him and talking to him as long as we did, I know for a fact that guy's a cool guy, and he's got a super cool approach, super cool story. And, uh, man, I can just tell he's cool. I can't wait till he comes back to Texas and, and I get an opportunity to meet him in person. So big thanks to Lance. Um, can't wait for you guys to hear this interview. It's absolutely unreal. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of the Section K Podcast. We kind of got a special edition of the Section K Podcast for you guys this week. Um, a little different route. Uh, we kind of been in cow horse mode here recently, so we'd like to welcome the 2019 NRCHA Open Snaffle Bit Futurity and Open Intermediate Champ as well, Mr. Lance Johnson, to the show. Lance, thanks so much for taking the time, and welcome to the Section K podcast. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, First and foremost, just congratulations, and, and tell us about Here Comes the Boon and... and uh, Went in the snaffle bit and how awesome that that night was. Oh, it was it was incredible and and the horse was incredible that night. He's actually been been incredible all year for me. Um, I thought he might be that way when I bought him as a two year old. Um, watching Miles Brown, who trained him, um, watching him ride him around, I kind of had the feeling that he might be the one I needed, and and it turned out that way and. Um, it started off at the pre-fraternity in Vegas in August, and we won the open and intermediate there, and then um, it just carried on to the snaffle bit fraternity there in Fort Worth, Texas. It's a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You had an awesome fence run, uh, marking a 226-and-a-half that basically sealed the deal. Um, even though you tied Kelby, the, ha- the, fence, the tie always goes down to the fence run. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, the the fence work always um, breaks the first place tie. Any ties after that, you, you keep the tie and split everything, but the first place tie is always broken by the fence work. No no ties in the rain, rain cow horse deal for first place. <laughs> that's that's a different mm. concept for us. Way different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us about that fence run. I mean, 226 and a half, that's nothing to sneeze at, that's for sure. Well, it kind of started out when... Um, I, I was out back, and I realized that I had to mark a, a 26. I thought it was a 26 Calvary, a 26 and a half, and I realized I had to mark the same thing to win the intermediate to beat Shane Steffen. And, and I'm all, man, these guys are making it tough on me. And I knew I had a good fence horse, and I just knew I needed the right cow. And so Kelby had come walking by, and, and he had gone down the fence already. He says, I don't think that's going to be enough. And I said, that's Kelly, I don't think it is either, man. I'm sorry because there's too many big-time guys with really good horses coming. Somebody's going to lay something down. And then I'm all, I need a I need a Charlet to be able to beat you. And these black cattle aren't enough. And he's all, there are no Charlets for the open riders. They sorted out them, sorted them all out, and we just have black cattle. 
Oh, oh man, there's no way I'm going to catch you and Stefan now. Because the intermediate guys had the Charlets. You know, Shane had a Charlet down the fence, Mark mm-hmm. Big. Like, there's no way I'm going to catch him. I thought, well, the only way I can catch him is be be extremely accurate. And the horse is really good at being accurate down the fence. And he's very, very smart and con- and consistent when he's at home. And he was that way at the pre-fraternity. And so that's the only way I can catch him. And they've been paying everybody for being accurate all week because I don't think I'm going to get a cow that will run hard enough for that big, huge score. It, it's just got to be very precise. And so... Um, and so, um, I'd asked, I'd asked Darren and, um, oh, oh, Ashton Deacon's husband, um, he was doing the music. I asked him if they play Quiet Riot for me when I went in. And so yeah, they obliged <laughs> me. Yeah. They played a little Quiet Riot. And so, and that cow come out and he stuck his head up at me. I knew that I had the right cow. Um, he didn't actually do much in the box, and I thought he would try to run over the top of me, but I just knew when he stuck his head up the way he looked that, you know, I had a good chance of having the right one. And um, he rolled around the corner. I didn't box very long because he wasn't boxing much, and it was either win at all or, or not, so I was going for it. And he rolled around the corner good, and he wasn't terribly fast, but um, it's hard to see if you're watching from the judge's point of view but if you're watching from straight on, there's a video of it. You can see the tricks that cow's trying on me all the way down, and, and I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting for that cow to kind of come to me because we were kind of out um, off the fence a little bit, and I didn't want him to fall away in my turn. I wanted to kind of stay up into my turn, and and we got down far enough, and that cow, I think, kind of thought he might be able to push through me, and just when he did that, I kissed the horse's barn name is Cheese, and I kissed the Cheese, and, and he made his move, and... Um, and huge accurate turn and then you got to snap out of that turn in that arena because it, it is so hard to show in you got to snap out of that first turn and go get your second turn by the middle of the pin if you wait and get to the other end then it's all over um it's just such a short pin and hard to show down the fence on and so i got out and and got up there and that cow he tried to push through me in that next turn he was trying to push, but I made sure I got wide enough that he pushed up into me instead of through me. And that turn kind of stunned that cow a little bit. He kind of lost where he was, and so I was able to circle right out of it. And um, he didn't kind of get his bearings back till I switched to the other side, and, but he didn't get away from me. I switched to where he wasn't going towards that gate. And about halfway through that second circle, I was thinking I just won the snap a bit of 30. And I thought, but... <laughs> Don't raise your hat. Don't do anything yet. Wait for the buzzer because I've seen smart luck fall down winning the snaffle bit. I've seen um, um, Raylene Bell with Todd Crawford two steps away from winning the snaffle bit. And, and so I just stay focused all the way through it. And the crowd was just cutting. The roof felt like it was coming off the building. And when I heard that whistle blow, then, then I did 25 years worth of celebration all at once. <laughs> I thought that celebration you did was pretty perfect, pretty fitting, and I was definitely one of the ones that was helping blow the roof off. Like I was saying earlier, (laughs) I just met you today over the phone, and I mean, being in there and being here close to Fort Worth and being fortunate enough to to live close to where the Snaffle Bit Futurity is, I'm finally getting a taste of how awesome those three events are, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask too, how much harder is it to circle in that pin compared to say the Justin or, or the arena at South point or some of the other 
popular um, equine event centers that you guys show at. I, I heard you in one of the interviews mention that you really wanted to get as far away from that gate as you could when you started circling. So how much harder is it to circle in that Will Rogers Memorial Coliseum compared to other places? It, to me, it's the most difficult place. Um, it just, those cows want to funnel right back to where they came out of for the herd work. You know, they've already been in that pen for the herd work and they know where the out gate is. And, and, and then just the setup of everything, that other end is almost like a dark, scary end, you know, scary for the horses too. And so those cattle are just begging to get back out that gate and, and they're that way in a lot of arenas, but there's no room there. Um, you know, Will Rogers is so small that you, you don't have any time. You, you've got to be extremely accurate um, in what you do. And one little bobble, you get to that down to that end, and they're gonna they're gonna kill you for it. They're gonna because they want you to circle in the middle of the pin first of all. But then when you get down to the other fence, and then the penalty points just rack up. And so, um, you know, it, it's just it's the hardest for me. It's the hardest one there is. Um, I know. I, I would imagine most guys would would agree with me. Trying to get circled up, um, you, you don't want to get anywhere near near that end. There's just no no chance for a mistake. You know, um, you know some of the other pins, you, you can you know they're going to funnel towards the end they came out of, but it's not it's not quite like nothing quite like Will Will Rogers. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like you mentioned, and everyone mentions that it all comes down to the fence work, and it's like no lead is safe with guys like Matt Cook and Kelby and, and Sarah Dawson that are following you. So kind of how nervous were you after that fence run? Did you feel pretty confident that that, 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 that had sealed it and you got the job done? Actually, no. You know, I, I was, as soon as I did the run, I was confident I took the lead. Um, so um, I really didn't think I'd won at all because, like you said, there was – too many great fence riders, and the ones you just mentioned are phenomenal. Um, still coming up because I think there was, you know, Kelby was up six points ahead of us, and then there was five of us within a point and a half. And um, you know, so the, I think Sarah had already gone and fell, fallen down. Maybe to win the snaffle bit, she might have ended up being the winner. She might have been because she was sitting like a half uh, a point ahead of me. She might have. You know, she was marking the 25-26 run and might have been the winner, but you got to stay. You got to stay up. And um, but I had the rest of those guys coming and have so much respect for them as as fence riders. They a lot of them remind you know re- remind me of me 15 years ago. Um, um, just run after run after, run, especially Matt because he's a little wild and I used to be a little wild. And um, it was either going to be a huge score or go. I'd go down a cloud of dust, and <laughs> so um, I, I I did not feel it was safe. I didn't watch anything actually. I just went back to my stall with my horse and got him in front of the fan because it was hot again, and tried to get him cooled off and and just in, enjoyed my family down there that came down and my friends that came down to congratulate me. And um, normally I'd go cheer for cheer for everybody, but but that time I just wanted to kind of sit there and enjoy it and let the cards fall where they may and um and then um when somebody came by and said the last horse that could beat me had already gone there's only a couple horses left so i went walking back up and then matt cook lays down that what that 228 run i'm like "Uh uh-oh which horse was that because i knew one horse he had a bad rain work on and 
they said, don't worry, don't worry. It's not the horse he was sitting high on. Horses sit high on. Um, unfortunately for Matt, um, and guess fortunately for me, he drew a cow that wouldn't let him mark very high on. Um, but that horse had gone before me. But the, the one he marked huge on was too far behind to actually, actually catch me. So that kind of made my heart jump a little bit. But everybody said I was fine. And then, then we started con- um Start partying after that. <laughs> so before we talk about the, before we talk about the rain work, and I feel like a lot of our listeners are primarily cutting horse riders or cutting horse owners or breeders or whatever it may be. Um, with the last event being the the fence work, what are you doing to prepare your horse in the back uh, before that last fence run? I assume here comes the boon had to have been pretty tired uh by that last run so what do you what are you focusing on in the back there getting ready for that last fence run is it more mental than anything or are you are you worried about how the horse is feeling or what, what are you doing back there before that last fence run yeah hey, not doing a whole lot and actually he wasn't that tired really um he he doesn't take a lot to prepare he's really pretty easy and so we don't really use him up very much um and so you know, I, I was lucky that way, and that's part of the positive with that horse. He never really uses himself up, so I had had plenty of horse left. Um, I just tried to get their muscles back going again. You know, it hadn't been too long since I'd already ridden him, and it was warm, so you didn't have to worry about him getting too tight. Get the muscles going again, and then I'll kind of move him out a little bit, make sure that when I kiss to him and squeeze my legs that he'll kind of um, he'll kind of run around there a little bit because he's got – he had so much stop doing so much rate that I want to make sure he's thinking he's thinking go when I ask him and then I'll kind of turn him on the fence each way and make sure he's moving his front end and um, about 30 seconds of it and make sure he's firing is what I call it and then that's it and I and then I just jog till I go in and just kind of um, then it's kind of a mental thing in my head I just what I got to tell myself um nowadays is I, I just tell myself go straight by go straight by in other words um be honest about making my turn don't try to make it too tight um and then you know that cow push through me and go get around me and so i tell myself to um stay honest going by and then to watch my cow i got in some bad habits when i really got really bad sore there for a while or because it hurt me so bad to turn that I was taking my eye off the cow in the turn. So there's a couple things to tell myself because of the way, way I am now that I remind myself before I go in. And, and then, um, that was, that's basically it. And I just jog around there and, and just keep his muscles warm. And then you know, he's ready. Once I've done that with him, he's just waiting for our turn. You mentioned uh, that horse was trained by Miles Brown, and you guys bought him out of the Snafflebit sale last year as a two-year-old. What were some of the things that um, you saw in that horse that you really drew you to him and, and told your, your owners that, hey, we need this horse? I got lucky. I got to see him early in the week. Miles had him there because he was there showing, so he had him with him, and so I would catch him riding him when he was kind of off, almost, you know, just almost off hiding and, so he wasn't trying to show him to somebody. He was just, you know, just riding him without people watching. And I kind of got a chance to watch him quite a bit and just liked how he moved. And then Miles had turned him around and he had a really good front end. And um, every time Miles took his legs out and the horses went and crashed the ground. And um, 
and so I just thought, yeah, this is this looks like the cold I'm looking for. And and actually, my owners weren't looking to buy one. I was wanting to get one because I had a really nice filly, actually a filly that I was second on in the open and won the intermediate in Reno. And I didn't want to go all the way to Texas with her by herself. I wanted I wanted to go with two really good ones. And so Brent Stewart from Rock and BS Ranch, when he got there, I said I I told him my story because year before I'd been had showed only his three-year-old and got obliterated down the fence by a cow and we were sitting good to make the finals and the cow just um actually jumped up my saddle knocked my horse down and me down and, and my first turn and so my fraternity was over and there's nothing i could do about it so i said i didn't want to ever go back with just one and i asked him um, would you look at this colt he said well, i'm not looking to buy anything we need to cut back it and then i said and we talked about the story, and he's okay. I'll go look at him. And he looked at him, and that time Miles went and worked a cow on him for, for us, and we got to watch him work a cow. And when we we watched that, then um, Brent says, "Okay, we'll buy him. <laughs> I'll buy him for you." And um, and we were able to get him bought through the sale, and then well, I guess the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> yeah. But I sure appreciate Brent believing in me and and buying him for me because he was, you know, he was. He wasn't really looking for, for a horse for the place. He just ended up buying him for me. And and then that little mare ended up swapping out a lead and breaking gate in the rain work to keep her from being a 221 and a half. And so it ruined, it out, her fraternity was over. And so he stepped up and backed her up and, and won it for her, I guess you could say. So what's it like buying a horse? I feel like with the sale and the Western Bloodstock sales are obviously a staple there in Fort Worth at the at the NCHA events. What's it like buying a horse like that? And then um, I'm fortunate enough, I've grown pretty close with a guy named Tom Dvorak that is from California. And all he talks about is is coming from California and driving all the way to Texas and just thinking about what could happen and What's gonna? What am I gonna do if I win the snaffle bit? I mean, you've been reserved once before, obviously when it was in Reno. But what's it like having a horse that you know is a good one, or two that you know that are good ones, and coming all the way out to Texas now with the snaffle bit being here? Is it? Are you thinking about what could be that whole that whole trip on the way out here? Yeah, you know, we're always dreaming about what could be. Um, but I was pretty excited. You know, I had my mare was a little wore out. Um, but um, and the, the stud was, you know, he didn't go to Reno. I saved him. She had to go to Reno because she'd been hurt, so she, um, so she couldn't show in Vegas. I had to hold off, and I didn't want to go all that way without any shows under her belt. So, so she was a little wore out, but um, um, was really confident in my horse flesh and excited, and um, and I love Fort Worth. I, I, I am so happy that they moved it there because it you know it, it you know Fort Worth's big time and even though you know not for us as cow horse people but it for all, all the cutters there's so much history and it's just like you can hear the ghosts of horses and riders past as you walk into that arena that feels like to me and so I just love going there and um so I, I'm excited the whole way you know it, I know a lot of people California don't like the trip. My wife and I drive straight through. We swap back and forth. One drives, one sleeps, and um, we love it. We love looking at the country on the way, and um, and I'm excited to I'm excited to make the trip. So um, because it it's taken us, it feels like as a cow horse industry to the big time, moving us out there um, 
to to Fort Worth and and everybody's been so gracious to us out there in the, in the city of Fort Worth and then all the all the people the Texans and all all the cutters who've come and supported us and some of them started doing our deal now it's it, it's just amazing how much how much the growth is and the excitement and especially the excitement this year um it, it just seems like the excitement this year was was through the roof you know even if I wouldn't have won it for you know the the sales and the people and there's so many more people and and the, you know it felt didn't feel like we were such the little little brother so much anymore even, even though we are still the little brother compared to the cut and fraternity we didn't, didn't feel like we're we're so far away anymore we felt felt big time to me for the first time in a long time as two of us who've grown up in the cutting and and I have a lot longer than Caden um we enjoy going to the snaffle bit on Saturday night. I mean, it's one of the most fun atmospheres and, and, uh, or the world's greatest. I mean, that's another yep. highlight of our year too, is coming and watching those bridal horses with, with some of those big time guys. I mean, anytime the cow horse or the NRCHA comes to Fort Worth, it's, I mean, why wouldn't you want to go watch you guys show is yeah. kind of what I tell people. Yeah. I think it's that way for us going to, you know, like we but they, you know, go to buy horses, go on a vacation, go and watch NCJ fraternity, you know, or, you know, a lot of us go to the rain in fraternity too, just watch, you know, lots, watch horsemen at that level compete at the highest level and, you know, show our respects to maybe somebody, you know, somebody in a different event and stuff, but still it's, you know, it's to watch the elite horses and riders go. It's, it's pretty awesome. So it's neat that, you guys are returning the favor to us that now we're big enough to come watch. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. So before we get into kind of your background, obviously we mentioned that here comes the Boone was uh, trained by Miles Brown as a two-year-old, raised there uh, at the R.A. Brown Ranch. Um, but one of my favorite parts of Finals Night, man, was that rain work. That watching that horse spin, I think I don't know if you could hear it, but that first spin that woke everyone up. Everyone took notice to that horse spinning and that horse stopping. So talk a little bit about how that horse reigns and, and what he's like to ride through a rain run. As good as he is in the other two events, his rain work is actually his best event. And, and, and for me, that is probably my worst event of the three. Um, so, you know, it's complimentary that he's, he's so good. Um, he is so mentally good in the pen. He actually likes going to shows more than he likes being at home. He, and, and in the show pen, he almost feels happier. And so, you know, in the rain work, you don't have a cow out there to have your horse focused to. So sometimes you can lose their concentration and, um, and, and it's really tough. And, and that horse is just so focused. And, you know, when the roof came off that building, when he turned around, um, I wanted to look up and look at everybody. I lost a little focus because it was so it was so loud and it was such an awesome feeling. If I didn't look up, that horse never bobbled. He never lifted his head. He never, he was just he was stone cold cool, and it's pretty amazing. And it's kind of you know it's it's like watching in that building watching H.A. Fraternity. And the crowd just going crazy and the horse never missing a cow. And they think they're just three year olds. How can they? How can they stay so focused? And um, and so he was just 
you're just so focused and it's the fastest I've ever turned a horse around in the show pen and be that smooth and correct with that correct a start and that correct a finish. It was, um, I've never turned one around in both directions that fast and that good in the show pen ever. So it was, it was pretty incredible. Well, I don't know anything about raining and I'm just kind of learning about the rain cow horse and that rain run was badass. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was phenomenally, he was focused in the circles. He, he, he turned unbelievable and ran stop great. Only bobble. Unfortunately, he was in that third stop. Um, he reached up and grabbed the bulb of his heel as he's walking out in that stop that, you know, that ground was fast, which was great. So we could show our horses stopping and he grabbed himself and it kind of pulled him out of that stop and he went right back in, but you know, it'd be the last maneuver. Um, you know, I think they, they really got me for that. Um, cause I had, I've had several hundred people. It feels like come up to me and say, I got way under Mark. And I said, well, you know, and it's the last maneuver, the rain work, and that's the last thing they remember. You know, it's like it's like having a miss in the last few seconds of your herd work. You, you know, you may be marking, you know, a 28, but having that miss the last few seconds hurts you a lot more than having that miss the first few seconds. So, um, kind of deal. And so I think they, you know, they got me for that, but. You know, it was just an unfortunate deal. There's nothing you could do. It just he he just overreached, and um, but um, but the rest was pretty phenomenal. It was. You mentioned focus, and I wanted to ask a question that is kind of hard for me to grasp because I've I've uh, been cutting all my life. But in cutting, we when you drive up towards that cow, you want them to get back or or stay underneath you so they can fight off that cow away from the herd. And then in the fence work, it's completely opposite. I mean, you're kind of going towards that cow, and then you have to use your horse to, to get up there and stop that cow. Um, how do you teach them to differentiate the two that, I mean, they won't just try to muscle up towards that cow when you're doing the herd work? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's a big thing for us, you know, and, you know, that and, you know, when you, you teach them how to turn on a cow, it's drawing back and stepping backwards and you turn around the rain work, it's stepping forward. And so, you know, that's the, that's the hard thing for us is, you know, doing the multiple events is, you know, sometimes the events, you know, they don't complement each other. And I try in my program to try to, you know, try to get things as close as possible. So it's simpler for the horses. So they understand it. But obviously, you know, you're trying to get them to draw back on the cow and the herd work, and then you're chasing a cow down the fence and the um, um, down the fence. I personally, in my training, I I get them really solid in the herd work because it's a lot easier to chase a cow than it is to get one to draw. And um, so, and naturally, these days, you just need one to naturally draw on their own to compete at this level. You're trying to teach one to draw you can do it, but they're not going to compete against the ones that just naturally do it. But, but anyways, get them where they're drawn and they really understand that. And then I gradually incorporate the down the fence and, um, um, slowly. And then I'll go back and forth. So they'll never forget that draw. You know, I, I don't just train one event and then go to the other. I'll, I'll go back and forth and always make sure that they have that draw to them. And then, um, when I teach them to turn around, like for the rain work and the fence work, 
at first the babies I'll teach them to step forward um so especially those babies that have really got natural draw and get them to cross and over and then and then I'll teach them to I call my my cutters turn around where I get them to draw back and step back and then throughout time I got a little exercise before I go work a cow I'll draw them back draw them back then ask them to step up and turn around forward then I'll pull them back pull them back and I will do that and I teach them until they understand okay he's drawing back okay he's squeezing me forward so they understand that um they do both ways and that they're comfortable this horse has got a tremendous amount of draw. It's harder to get them to step up because they want to keep drawing back. And then those that, you know, want to step up and got a little forward to them, maybe easier to turn around. Well, then it's harder. You got to make them draw back more. Um, but it's kind of something I incorporate in my little exercise I do. And, you know, I start doing it quite a bit from the middle of their two-year-old year on. So by the time they're shown as three-year-olds, they understand what I mean about which I want. And um, it really seems to work well for my program. You were uh, born and raised on uh, your family's cattle ranch in New Cayuma, Cayama, California? We call it Cuyama. Cuyama. It's, I don't, yeah, Cuyama. It's Indian, and I'm not sure, what, I should remember what it means, but I'm not, um, I'm not sure, but... Um, yeah, I was raised in a little town. Um, you know, my high school graduating class was 26 kids. Um, so pretty small town that was, um, it started out as um, my grandfather homesteaded, great-grandfather, excuse me, homesteaded it. Um, so it's been in the family, um, you know, since the beginning. And um, primarily a big ranching community with, with farming along with it and then as years went on the farming got bigger and then they discovered oil in the valley and that became a huge part of the valley but there's not as many ranches anymore as there was because the farming is pretty much taken over and and there's still the oil there's not as much as there used to be it's kind of drying out but um it's you know primarily a big farming community now with a few ranches left and so how'd you get into whether it was rain cow horses or your first horse? When when did you swing your first leg over a horse, and what were you doing? Yeah, there's pictures of me the day I came home from the hospital with them holding me on a horse. So I guess that would have been my first first one. But the first one I started myself. I was 12 years old. I bought a Docs Cowboy filly, saved up my money from from selling leppy calves um, as a kid, and bought a Doc's Cowboy filly, and um, she was the first one I started, and then the next year, I started, I was 13 years old, I started um, my first one for money, and and it was just, that you know, that became my, just from then on, it just it just blew up into where I was basically starting colts for, um, for ranchers, or um, hunters, or, or backyard people, um, it just kind of knew me through from the ranch. And um, so it was that for years, started everything. I even rode, rode a lot of mules. And, um, and I learned how to shoe, I think, about that same time. So um, I, I was shoeing when I went to college to put myself through college shoeing and just, you know, riding, riding those type of horses and mules. And 
But when I was a little kid, I was, I think, somewhere around eight years old, my dad was running cows for a guy that had horses in training, some snaffle bitters in training. And this guy was uh, um, owned a car dealership and everything. He didn't know much about cows, but he was smart enough to hire my dad to run them. And my dad knew, knew, knew a lot about cattle. And so he took my parents to snap a bit maturity, and I didn't get to go. I had to stay home because I had school, but they came back with a bunch of paraphernalia and everything, and they told me all about it. And and I told them when I heard all about it, I was so excited. I said, someday I'm going to train one of those, and I'm going to win the snap a bit maturity. And, and when I was a little kid, I didn't read comic books or anything. We didn't have a TV, and I mostly read the Ed Connell, Hackamore Rangeman, and Battle Rangeman books. I was just really into Hackamore horses and bridle horses, that's all I cared about. And so when they told me about the snaffle bit, obviously it excited me as a kid, even though I'd never seen it. And But it wasn't until I met my wife when I was in college and met, met Tammy, and I had a Mustang that could run and drag his butt. I'd just run him down the fence and pull his nose, and he'd slide like 25 feet and turn on the fence and come out. And um, Pretty handy Mustang, and she's, and she's all... You ought to go show him. He he he, got, he does everything, and you ought to go show him. You've always wanted to show, and so and so she figured out where I could go show at some little shows, and and um that's where it started. I started off at a few little rainings first because I didn't have cattle at the time because didn't have a place to keep them. Parents had plenty of cattle, but where I was living, going to school, we didn't have a place to keep them. We just had pins with our horses in but no cattle so I started off with the raining and then moved to a different place so I could have a few cattle so I started showing and they had a lot of stock horse classes at the fairs back then um you know separate even from the cow rain cow horse class so I started showing a few of the stock horse classes and then I think it was 95 um lady brought me my first snaffle bit fraternity horse so she brought it to me in 94 and um I didn't have but a little over a year training, and I think it showed up in 95 with my first one. So 95, I went I went, went, went pro because it, then I was showing um, it wasn't really a professional. The, the, it was kind of, if you were just training, if you weren't showing people's horses, you were not an open rider back then. It wasn't as clear as it is today what an open and non-pro rider was. And, um, but then I decided that, you know, I wanted to, show horses for people so i think 95 is when i became an open rider 94 95 and in 95 I showed my first snaffle better and um then it took off from there so yeah in 2007 you were the reserve snaffle bit futurity champion riding she's full of diamonds owned by gary and k watt is that correct yes yeah i was second uh, boyd rice on okay and short and um and that was actually the mother of the filly that I was second on in Reno this year and won the intermediate that I ended up buying, you know, cheese, um, barn name again of this, um, here comes a boon. I ended up buying cheese for, so, you know, it kind of, and I ended up buying, um, I ended up buying that mare this year too from Gary and K. Watt. Um, they, they decided they wanted to sell her and they gave me a first chance at buying her. And so I ended up buying her and she has a, metallic rebel in her belly and um ended up buying the two-year-old full sister by metallic cat to um diamonds are metallic which 
is the daughter of She's Full of Diamonds and the Yearling WR. I bought the whole package from them. Um, so everything everything came back to me from from back then. I, I have them all. And that mare was one of the top three snaffle bedders I ever rode with um, the other two being Here Comes a Boon and then the, the filly I showed with them, um, Diamonds Are Metallic. Um, had some had some nice ones over the years, but those are the three best I ever rode, and, and I guess it it showed up in the in the show pin because they're the ones I had the most success on. <laughs> well, and now you got a stud that you can breed those good mares to. Hey, yep, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pull we're gonna breed the mother and daughter um, this year. We're gonna pull embryos um, out. Um, we already talked about it, so. Um, I guess we 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 call the Philly Snowflake. Um, we bought Snowflake a boyfriend, and now we're going to have babies. <laughs> yep, and keep it in the family um, tradition once again. Uh, yep, so it'll be it'll be pretty exciting. He's going to get a lot of really good mares, um, really good mares bred to him. Um, besides the ones we have, um, besides the ones Brent has from Rock and BS, he's going to try to buy some embryos of some of the biggest. Rain cow horse broodmares, um, kind of following the lines of what they did with Hickory Holly Time. Um, he's going to try to do that, and then um, we were just recently told by some 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 cutters that um, that actually that they're going to be interested in breeding them too. You know, normally the cow horses don't cross over to the cutters; the cutters cross over to us. But sounds like maybe the first time in 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 history that I know that that some some very reputable people are talking about breeding to this horse because they think he'll cross over cross over for them so that's if that happens that's just that's really exciting because it's not really not really heard of <laughs> that doesn't really happen and so so we're pretty excited this horse if he if he's going to be a sire he's going to get every opportunity and he's going to he's going to get all the publicity that that and that everybody's going to want that's going to breed to him to make those babies worth something. And so it'll just be up to him to prove that they are good. And, and we're also going to make sure that, um, those that breed the, bring those good mothers to us, we're going to, we're going to give those breedings away to them. Um, if they bring those big time, good mothers to get those, get those big time babies and then try to get them out to, you know, the big time trainers too, to really try to, really try to push him give him a chance he's you know, he's the highest money earning three-year-old in NRCHA history with over 205,000 and um, um and then which makes me the highest earning um money earning rider on a single three-year-old in NRCHA history there's been more that did it with multiple horses all in one year a lot of guys have you know showed a lot of horses and have success and set it up but not on one and that's pretty awesome. With me being eligible, yeah, with me being eligible for the intermediate open and winning both the open and intermediate, both those fraternities, I was able to capitalize and win that kind of money. Where, like, when Kelby won both the pre-fraternity and the and the fraternity, he wasn't eligible for the intermediate, so he wasn't eligible for the the money I was eligible for. So, um, it was it's pretty special that you know him being able to win that kind of money. At that age, so that that makes people pay attention when when horses won won that much, they start start looking at him. So we're pretty excited about him. 
So it's pretty well documented um, how hard you work and obviously um, just the ad amount of adversity that you've overcome to um, reach the point that you're at. Talk a little bit about your back. Um, personally, my mother suffers from degenerative disc disease, so I totally understand how not only physically grueling, but it's super mental and just kind of what it's been like to overcome um, whatever back injury or uh, whatever it is that you're living with. Well, it, I hurt myself when I was about 10 years old, um, more muscular than anything, but hurt myself pretty good trying to pick something up that I shouldn't have been picking up. And, and I didn't tell anybody, and I'm not sure they could have done anything for me back then, but that kind of started the muscle damage which, you know, eventually turned into, if you're not strong through your core, um, then it starts to wear on your spine. And um, I started having significant trouble when I played high school sports. I played football and basketball pretty heavy, and I started having trouble then. Um, but I never went to the doctor for it. I am, just did what I could to stay as healthy as I could on my own. And But as time went on, the wear and tear and without, you know, being really healthy, muscularly started to wear and tear in my spine and ended up having two things different that caused me trouble. The same degenerative disease sounds like your mother has. I have. My spine is like a 75 year old man's and I'm 48. And at least that's what the doctors tell me. Um, and it's, it's breaking down and then crushing those nerves that run through the facets of your spine. And, and, um, when those nerves get crushed and obviously the pain is intense and then it sends pulses of those muscles and causes them to cramp up. And when they cramp then they pull my back out and then, you know, the pain's fairly, fairly intense. And so I deal with that. And then, and then, um, with the breakdown, um, it, it, I'm having trouble with that sciatic nerve. It, I, the crushing of that sciatic, my sciatic nerve runs down my right leg. And I ended up four years ago, I believe it was four years ago, getting surgery on that and getting some of my pelvis removed and getting it, getting that disc cleaned out to take that pressure off that. And so, I, um, so that's helped me greatly. There's, I still have to have epidural shots about three times a year for that, the, the keep the pain down from that. Um, but that seems to be, we seem to control that easier than we control the, the other. The other, what I have to do is, um, I've been getting those nerves that run in through those facets. I get them cauterized. You go in there and I cauterize them. So you can't feel the pain at all. Um, and it's supposed to last a year when I first did it, and it only lasted five months. Um, and it really helps me greatly to decrease the pain. But it started wearing out when I was in Reno, and I didn't think I was going to make it through Reno. But my insurance wouldn't pay for it to be redone again until after six months. So on two days after I got back from Reno, it was six months, and I got into my pain specialist and went in there, and he got those cauterized. So. By the time I made it to Texas, I was feeling not pain-free, but as good as I can possibly feel. So, um, so um, I can compete at the highest level I can compete at, anyways. And um, 
and then you talk kind of about the mental deal. About three years ago, it, things were so tough on three, four years ago, things were so tough on me that I'd really considered retiring because I could, I was no longer making the open finals. I'd made the open finals 14 times and was a regular finalist. And then I'd gone through a stretch of three to four years where I couldn't make the finals anywhere. And it, it dropped me back into the intermediate open and, um, and I'm a real competitive guy and don't really do well with, with not being competitive at the high level and all these young, amazing, talented guys coming up, Kelby and Justin and, and Sarah and Chris. And, and it's like, you, it's hard to compete against them when you're a hundred percent, let alone, um, you know, let alone when you're crippled and then Corey dominating for so long, trying to catch him and, I got to be where I thought I would just, I couldn't do it anymore. And, and then one day I realized, kind of struck me that, that I love what I do and that I don't want to do anything else. And that, and so I kind of thought through it and come to the realization that I wasn't going to quit. And that I just had to accept that I couldn't compete at that level and there's nothing I could do, but I had a lot of non-pros and I could make a living that way and that I could keep competing in the intermediate open, try to get enough checks to keep business going and, and that, you know, but I wasn't going to quit and that I just enjoyed it too much and that I just handled the pain till, till I couldn't go anymore. And, and then I would have to get major back surgery and get it fused. And that would be a year off and then a year getting back to where I was. So basically you're, killing your career by doing that so figured i'd just hold on as long as i could and when i made that decision three years ago all of a sudden mentally it kind of freed me up and i and i was in a better spot mentally even though physically i was in so much pain i was in a better spot mentally and i started having success again i i was i won the intermediate was second in reno on um i'm counting checks silly um um, daddy's checks that was kind of my first big thing happening and then um, that same year I for some crazy reason because I guess because I'd showed him my first horse was a Mustang I did that Mustang deal there for Lucas Oil and I ended up winning that and then and things just took off I ended up um, having two really good years in a row and then and then um the same time brent and susie stewart brought me horses three years ago started bringing me horses and i ended up having the financial backing as well as um somebody who really believed in my program that had 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 the finances to, to help me get to the next level and it kind of just it built up to what it was today i've always had people with money but but didn't maybe completely believe in my program or I've had people that have supported me for years that believed in me even in the bad times, but um, they didn't have the money to really compete at the highest level on a regular basis. And when Brent and Susie Stewart came along, it gave me both. And um, so it all kind of happened all in the last three years and it just accumulated to accumulated to, winning the snaffle pit fraternity when when i thought i thought when i was young i'd win it several times and then in the last five years i thought there was no chance that i would ever win it 
um, which was hard for me to deal with, but I wasn't going to quit. I thought I was just going to keep keep trying. And, and then when I was walking down for the fence work, I um, towards the end of the day, I usually hit a brick wall where I can't hardly go anymore. It's where I'm done, and I got to... I, I'm just finished, and I used to be a guy that would work into the middle of the night to 10, 11 o'clock at night and make Tammy mad because I wouldn't come in, and she wanted me to come in and have dinner and with my son and her, and I just wanted to keep riding. Well, I can't do that anymore. I'll hit a brick wall in, in the afternoon. I started to hit that brick wall just before I was walking in for my fence work, and um, and I kept telling myself that Toby Keith song kind of my theme song I'm not as good as I once was but once I can be as good as I ever was and I'm saying that to myself as I'm walking down and then kept saying to myself why not me this time why not me even as bad as I am like why not me and lo and behold it happened <laughs> and it was you so I hope that answered your question <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um so as somebody who's had back surgery as well um that's a pain that you can't you can't even put into words, um, or I have trouble doing it. Um, but I luckily had a very successful back surgery and I haven't had any problems since. And, and, uh, I couldn't imagine living with that pain every day. So I, uh, I commend you for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's not much fun. And eventually, you know, I will get that, you know, get, I think I, They'll end up fusing it, and I'll end up getting it fused in, in, in four levels, I believe, and um, and hopefully that'll that'll take the pain away. And the only reason why I don't do it right away, like I said, is because they told me it was going to be a year off for me, and then then I just figured for my last surgery, being a year off is going to be a year getting back, if it's successful, to to competitive level and. And you guys know how it is, you know, being, you know, we're athletes and, you know, you guys are cutters, but you're still athletes just like us on the cow horse. And to be off that long and to try to try to come back and be at the level you need to be is so hard. It's and so very tough. Almost sometimes and, you know, impossible almost at, at, at my age. And not that it won't be possible, but it just, my big thing before I, my big goal was before I quit was to become a million dollar rider because I thought, what if something happens like the surgery goes wrong and that I never get to ride again. And, um, so my goal was before I ever had it done is I wanted to be a million dollar rider. And, and I, when I won that snaffle bid, it pushed me over. Um, and now I'm a million dollar rider in the rain cow horse deal. So that relieves the pressure on me. So now it's just, I'll go, I go till I can't handle the pain anymore, and then when I can't handle it, then I'll I'll get surgery. And my parents are at the age now where I, they need me to come home and start running the cattle ranch. So I'll end up doing that and helping them, and then I'll just cut down the numbers if I'm physically able to. I'll because I always want to be involved, and I and don't want to quit. So I'll ride a few if I'm able to, and then. I really enjoyed judging and studying judging and the art of judging. And so I'll start doing that quite a bit more to help with the finances and keep myself going, but I'll always be involved. Um, I'm not going to be somebody that rides off in the sunset and, and fades away. Uh, I love it too much. I, 
um, I, I want to be like old Murph, you know, Don Murphy, um, who, who finds a way to still stay around and always be involved and always be there with us. I, I would be honored to be, be like that someday at his age. So, so with all your, your back trouble and whatnot, what does a day at Johnston performance horses entail? Well, I, um, I start, start early like we, like we all do. Um, you start early. Um, well, I guess first thing in the morning, I, I got to do my stretches before I ever get out of bed. I got to, you got to stretch those muscles, try to keep them from, cause they're going to be real tight and I'll wake up pretty sore. Um, and so I do a lot of stretches and then get up and, um, I got to get something eaten cause I got to take a bunch of medication in the morning. So I got to get something in my stomach <laughs> right off the bat, but I can't eat, never could eat something huge right off the bat. So I'll, I'll have usually toast and peanut butter and with my coffee and take my medication. And then, um, and then if we usually the kids and the guy that works for, been working with me forever, big Todd, they, they do the chores, the feeding and stuff like that. And, um, I, and I enjoy watering the arenas and, and dragging them. Um, if it doesn't bother my back too bad, um, why, why, why my medication's kicking in and why I'm getting warmed up moving and do that. And then, to go gather the cattle with my dogs because most of the time I need the dogs with the kind of cattle I get to get gathered in. And then we get going. I, you know, I can't ride that as many horses as I used to. Um, one time when Aaron Brookshire worked for me, we were riding 47 head and that's a lot for cow horse trainers. Um, we can't ride as many as the cutters with the amount of time it takes per horse, especially I think we had 14 snaffle bitters that year. That was back in, I would say, my heyday, whenever that was, um, 15 years ago. And How much time does it take you to ride each horse a day? Well, it's, you know, typically on a, on a good one, um, it's 45 minutes to an hour. On a really good one, let's say 45 minutes. Um, but, you know, you know, I'll have, you know, we'll have some people cool, um, warming them up and then cooling them off too so you know that horse will be being ridden longer than that but actual training i would say on a good one's like 45 minutes you know if they're you're struggling it's going to be longer than that and you know so that's you know it's hard to get you know 45 head of horses ridden in that amount of time and i won't even take that many anymore we try to keep the number at 25 or under um and I don't ride that that many a day. That'd be with an assistant with me, um, you know, somebody riding the two-year-olds for me, and then I'll ride the older show horses. And um, and so, um, you know, I'll typically I can get by twelve, maybe fifteen a day on a really good day, and probably thinking about more like ten or twelve. Um, mm-hmm. And usually about five o'clock. That's when I used to hit my second win when I was younger. About five o'clock, it's it's like somebody turned the light switch off, and and when that happens, um, kid, the kids and Toddle and finish up, and Tammy's always around, running things, making sure everything goes. And she's a non pro, so she can't ride any horses or do anything, but she's she's there making everything sure everything goes because. It's 
tough for me if you 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 know about the pain and you, you guys are talking about the pain absolutely it, i get pretty tunnel vision and all i can think about is one thing at a time which is writing and so everything else my wife tammy runs and takes care of especially the more pain i'm in the less i'm able to focus on anything else and so she does all that and then i'll hit the i hit a brick wall and go in and get something to eat and I have certain times through the day where I am, I'm a lot of times where I take my medication to keep me, keep me going. Um, and I try not to, I don't like taking any pain medication at night because it keeps me awake, which is hard because when you're in pain, it's hard to sleep. But, um, I got things worked out where I'd, at best, um, unless I'm just having really terrible terrible night I, I don't and but usually i don't can't stay up late anymore it used to be where i stayed up really late and now about eight o'clock uh, i'm about i'm about out <laughs> um, <laughs> because i just can't go anymore just exhausted and then get up and do it again and but i love doing it so i just just keep going and yes sir it's definitely love, yeah um for sure someday it'll eventually and maybe not very far off it it'll completely catch up to me and then i'll just have to go get my surgery but i'm gonna i'm gonna ride this high while i can and keep doing as long as i can (laughs) absolutely so you predominantly train uh cow horses is that correct yeah it's just about it you know years ago i had a customer that wanted me to um that I was working for for a while, um, and they liked the cutting horses and wanted me to start to get into it. Um, so I just started to kind of get into it, and then that deal fell apart with him. And then it was just I had so many cow horses that I just didn't have time to go um, to go cut or rein. And in the beginning, I kind of started off with the reining just a little bit because I didn't have cows. You know, it was at a very low level, and um. But it just, just my customer base was so, was all cowers people and it just didn't have time to do anything else. And it was, you know, I got to do all three events, you know, I got to do the reining and cut, you know, herd work, even though our herd work isn't, I wouldn't call it cutting, maybe on your world's greatest, we could call it that when you don't pick your hand up, it's, it's herd work, it's not straight cutting, but we do get the, we do get the thrill of working out of the herd. So, so I never never ventured over um now i wouldn't say i would love one time to step in the real rogers car see him and just one time and throw my hand down on a three-year-old that would be fun so i'm not going to say i would that i wouldn't try it sometime somewhere in the future but um like i said it's mainly just been just been the one just been the cowards deal Maybe we'll be showing or cutting on that little metallic rebel that's in the oven right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's 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 bred to do it, and her mother and her grandmother um, were probably of all the snaffle bitters I ever rode in the herd work. I think if they would have just done the straight herd work, I think they were Fort Worth quality. Um, of all the snaffle butters I had, so hopefully, and obviously be my metallic rebel. Hopefully, he'll be be that kind of horse, and 
most likely with the interest I've got from that baby that's in her that's not even born yet, um, probably for business reasons, he's probably going to have to go go through go through the sale just just because of the hype that baby's already getting if if he's you know if he's clean legged and and looks the type um maybe hopefully I'll have a customer that'll outbid everybody and I'll get him back but for business reasons I think he's probably going to have to um he's going to have to go through the sale if he's if he's if he looks the right, looks the right type hmm. That's kind so of he a, may be he may end up with with a big time cutter and that would be fine too going going that direction that would be fine with me yeah that's kind of um what what I've learned is important here and I'm sure Cody can vouch as well but getting some of those good babies in other people's hands and marketing your your mare power and and your stud even um, is super important in, in marketing your, your horse program and marketing your business. So I'm kind of just now getting into the to the horse breeding deal and, and realizing that sometimes um, the ones that are the hardest to sell are the ones that you do, in fact, need to sell. So Yeah, that's always been the toughest part for me because I always wanted to keep them to show them because I needed help, <laughs> you know. You know, I needed good horses to show, and I wasn't always getting the greatest horses from customers. Um, you know, I wasn't getting a multitude of, I'd get some nice ones, but not the multitude like, you know, Corey and Todd Bergen and Todd Crawford were getting. And, it, you know, it, you know, you can have one great one and get injured, and it's all over. And, you know, they have, you know, multiple really good ones. And so it was always, it was always hard for me to, sell the sell the good ones but um now that i have the up in my quality of brood mares and now that being involved with cheese as we call them here comes the boon i are gonna have to have to get those babies out to other people especially if i get to where eventually where i won't be able to compete i'm gonna have to keep making a living so and it's so important for us in california to get it marketed out in texas because you know that's where everything. It's where Texas is where it's where at. The big time horses, the big time money at. Yeah, that's where where everything's at. And so you know, if you want to play the game, that's where, you, where everything where you need to be. And Absolutely. I won't move out there because my family ranch is there in California, and I I want to keep it. I don't want to sell sell the family ranch, but um, I darn sure love coming. Or love going to Texas and, and showing there and being a part of the, that atmosphere. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, big yeah. fan of you guys out there. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun out here. How much time do you spend on each discipline? Because you guys have to do three different events. How much, like on Wednesdays, do you cut? On Fridays, do you do the fence work? Or, or how does that work? It, it, it all revolves around, for me, my fresh cattle now i'm a lucky guy in california i have a phenomenal cattle cow deal i can get as many as i can feed only thing that limits it is the cost of hay and actually feeding but um you know i've got a great a great cow deal so you know typically what i'll do um um if feed is good or if i got enough left out in the pasture i'll have three sets of 35 head of cattle at all times and i'll have a set that i'm settling because the cattle i get are actually wild and that's why i get them 
um, that I get the replacement heifers to gentle. So it takes me a week to settle them. So I got a set I'm settling, then I got a fresh set because um, once my once I'm late in the two year old year, I never, I very seldom ever do anything but work straight across. So if you're going to work straight across, got to have fresh cattle. So I have a a set of fresh cattle for that, and then I have a set that um, after that, after no no good straight across anymore, um, I have a set that I use for down the fence or if I'm you know working babies one-on-one in the round crowd or um or if i'm working um, out of a circle on a baby or something um i have that set for that and so when i get the fresh when the fresh set of cattle are ready to work straight across i work straight across and usually it'd be about for three days and then in the transition of settling the one set and the set switching then i'll do um like three days of rain work and then um and then I like to do my down the fence work right before day off where I do, um, you know, I typically don't like doing more than two days in a row for, um, because I think it thrashes on their legs too much and I have better success if I limit it to two days. Um, and I'll do two days of fence work and then I give them a day off. And then when I start back with the next week, my, it's kind of where the cattle are at. Typically it'll be like if I ended I had the rain work at the end of the week before the fence work, then it'll be rain work at the beginning of the next week. And then the herd work at the end. And then it'll, it'll, that's kind of typically what it is. And now it might, depending on the horse, they may get the week in the herd, get an extra day of herd work and less rain work, you know, four days herd work, you know, just depending on the horse, what the horse is good at. And so, um, you know, typically it's, kind of three three and one or three two and one or two three and one kind of like that um but that's basically usually what i do i usually very seldom will mix the events um the only thing i will incorporate i guess is in my warm-up um there will be days where i'll you know work on my lead changes in my warm-up and stuff and then go work out of the herd but a lot of times you know and you notice as cutters, the more you get to messing with them and getting them to think about you, which is what we need in the rain work. We need them complete machines. Well, you uh, you know, thinking about us, not thinking for themselves at all. Makes well, that's the exact rain. opposite of what yeah. you need in the herd work. So sometimes I'll just have my kids, okay, go long trot them, go lope them, pitch them away, don't touch them. They're too focused on me. Just go do that, and we're just going to go, you know, like, oh, we're going to go play cutter because um, – that's something we've got to really we're constantly battling is that you know we need we need the machine for the rain work and then we need a horse to you know ideally you want your cutter to completely think on his own but we know it's a teamwork deal it's it's not that way but you know the more more we mess with them the more cow you take out of them i think um would and quoting i don't know if it's matlock rose or one of those old time cutters said that more you, more you pull on more cow you take out of them. But it's something we struggle with because trying to keep, keep all that cow in them and them thinking for themselves, but then keep them honest in the rain work. It's, it's a battle. <laughs> Us cutters kind of struggle with the, if we pull too much or if we pull more, we lose more cow a lot as well. So that happens on, on our end as well. So don't feel too bad about that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's 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 difficult, and it's something we're always talking about. You know, because that rain mark, it would um. So um, it's you know all of us we struggle with it. So it's been well documented. I think it was on Andrea Fapani's podcast when he had Corey Cushing on, um, talking about coming out to Texas and and going and cutting a couple of days with Clint Allen and I know Spud Sheehan uh, has Kelby Phillips, Kelby and Abby over to his place to to work on cutting and I think uh, both Corey and Kelby returned the favor in regards to uh, rain work and fence work. Is there any cutting guy or past cutting guy that maybe you look to for advice uh, working out of the herd or um, do you pretty much just do that on your own? Actually, what I what I do is um, you know, I just I learn by watching and listening so much rather than you know somebody saying hey you know like you know helping out in a lesson situation I learn more by that so you know I will watch you know a lot of times I lose focus on what I'm doing because I'll sit there and watch in the practice bin you know like. When I went to NCHA fraternity, I just I went out back. I went to the practice pen and sat there for like six hours, and so I will go do stuff like that. And like if one of those guys, Clint or Spud, is working their horse in the practice pen, I'll just stop and just sit there and watch. And um, um, and so any chance I get, you know, I I end up doing stuff like that quite a bit, and you know. You know, Boyd, who's done both, you know, watching Boyd, I, I, I'm really big on studying people. It's, it's, it's a passion I have. I just sit there and watch and study and, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the cutters or, or the rainers or, or, you know, guys helping other guys. I like to sit there and kind of, they won't even know I'm listening. I'll be just kind of sitting there trying to rob. <laughs> um, I do that a lot with Murph because he helps a lot of, lot of open guys out and um no matter what their style is he helps them all he never tries to change his style he always helps them and so i'll just sit there and listen while he's helping somebody and because i learn more by 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 watching than i do actually if somebody's trying to tell me something that there's something it's always worked better for me that way so um i there's I watch everybody, even the ones that are bad. I'll watch and say, "Oh, don't do that. Make sure I'm not doing that." But I, I love studying, studying people, and especially those that compete at the the highest level. You know, like you're talking about those those guys like that that cut. And um, I agree. I feel like so that's guess, something that is that has helped me is watching um, who I'm working for. If I'm loping horses at the cutting or or watching turning back for somebody else or just watching just a regular class go i I always enjoy watching and and learning that way a lot better than than somebody teaching me which one of the three events do you find the most difficult well the you know the 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 rain work has always been my weaker event and actually when i started out because i started out with that you know you would have thought it would have been um i would have thought it it would have ended up being my stronger one because it was the easiest one in the beginning but i think you know being raised on a cattle ranch and being raised a cowboy the the fence work just you know it wasn't very long before that that fence work once i found kind of my own program and and figured out what i needed to do um in order to show you know rather than not just be a cowboy out there running and cowboying up that became my dominant event 
but I, I still um, my rain work has greatly improved um, over the last few years, and maybe because my back slowed me down, it slowed me down in my rain work and and made me take you know made me settle more and slow myself down. But that one's become I'm not sure it's difficult for me to, to train any more than the others. It's um, it's just the showing part. And I think because in the herd work and, in the, and down the fence, you have the cow. And so I just react, you know, mm-hmm. you just react to the cow where there's too much time to think in the rain work, I think is where it gets me showing. As for training, um, I, um, they're very equal for me. I guess it would just depend on what the horse was, you know, weak on or strong on. So, and, and if you have a horse that's, that's better at reining, then it obviously helps. So you probably work more on the other two events more so than you would on its reining, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if one's stronger in one event, then you work more in the other. It is, it is harder for me. I would rather have a horse that's stronger in the, in the cow part and, and then have to, um, though, and then, then have one in, you know, and then work harder in the rain work. Not that I want to work a cow any less, I'd rather work a cow, but it's easier for me taking the cow horse and trying to rain on it than it is me taking a rainer and trying to, you know, put cow in them. Um, um, I'm well known for my horses being really bright in the herd work. And, um, I, you know, I tried to change a little bit more because of the, the, the more style sometimes, the more controlled, the more weight, the more the weight is good. I'm not saying it's bad, but sometimes, especially in our deal where you can help them where you're almost doing every move for them. Um, and if you can, I tried to do that, but I wasn't good enough to do it. And then I didn't like it because my horses weren't bright. And so it's a big, my horses have to be bright or so I'm not very happy. And so it's easier for me. I feel a lot more comfortable taking a cow horse and, you know, whether, you know, talking about herd and down the fence, I'm a lot more comfortable with that and making them rain than the other way around. I, I struggle with the other way around because it, it frustrates me because I want them to be bright and I want them to cow up. And if there's a cow within a half a mile and they can see it, they better, they better know it's there kind of deal. I'm, I'm very critical on that with my horses. So, so you that one that's really solid rain or, but you know, a lot of times they're, they're so focused on, on me and then, they won't hook up. I don't. I don't do well with that. Yeah, no. It it makes there it are tough. others that do. Yeah, it makes it tough I for don't. us in the cutting as well. If they don't want to hook up, maybe because we pulled on them yeah. too much. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it does make it. It makes it tough, especially because we are both in technically cow horse events. Yeah, and you guys can't pick your hand up, so you can't even cover up that <laughs> stuff. So it's even way tougher for you guys, but. Even nowadays with helping them with our deal, and, and I'm sure, you know, Quinn will tell you, you know, it's just because you're helping them doesn't mean that, you know, doesn't mean that they can't be doing their job and can't be cowing up and stuff. It's, you know, we're just there helping them a little bit because they have only a third amount of time on, 
by the time they get there and heard than your guys do, but still they got to be doing their job and yep. because there's no not like it used to be you can't you can't get a buy buy with one week event i mean you're done and yeah so they better be doing their job on a cow you better not be having to pull them around a whole bunch <laughs> well lance i think we're gonna wrap it there um it's been a pleasure i'll say it again um you gained some fans here at the section cape podcast to hear this last month and I'm sure after folks listening to your interview and and really get to know you, you'll have a ton more fans. I knew right after I watched that interview that you did with Brady Weaver and you were thanking your wife and just mentioned how important she was to your program that we definitely wanted to chat with you, and I'm glad that, that we were able to work it out. And thanks so much for taking the time. We greatly appreciate it, and go kick some more ass up in Idaho while you're up there. I sure appreciate you guys and appreciate everybody's support. This has been been phenomenal. I n- never dreamed it would be be this awesome. So I sure appreciate it, guys, and thank you. Yes, sir, Lance. It was it was our pleasure, and and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Okay. Well, thank you. Once again, big thank you to the 2019 Metallic Cat. Snafflebit Open and Open Intermediate Champion, Lance Johnston. I uh, can't thank him enough for taking time out of his busy schedule, getting ready for a cow horse event up in Idaho. Um, sat down with us for over an hour, and hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Um, be sure and follow us along on Facebook, Section K Podcast, Instagram, Section K Pod, or if there's any other uh, personalities, whether it's cutting, cow horse, um, anybody you'd like to hear interviewed. Slide into our DMs or send us an email, sectionkpod at gmail.com. We'll see you guys down the road. Bye. Well, when I look back on all I've learned, most bridges still stand, yeah, but some lay burn. Love that was made and the love that was lost. It's been worth it despite all the costs. Promises were made, but most were broken. Words I needed, I always left unspoken. Some say scars only heal with time. So it seems I've left my glass behind. When the road ends, though, I'll find another way. I'll follow that sunset to brighter days. So let's raise a glass to our memories. Hope we have many more times just like these. Cause before you know it, my friend, we'll be gone, long gone. And hopefully you have someone to love Hold them tight and raise your glass above Before you know it, my friend, we'll be Gone, long gone, gone, long gone Loving Lady Luck, splitting half day trains So I'll wait and ride till they come back again We'll watch another sunset slowly fade away And save our last words for another day Then we'll all celebrate, yeah, we'll all laugh and dance We'll do it all so nothing's even left to chance As long as there's a drink and a few good friends We'll ride this train until it ends So hop on board, won't you please come along Cause the times we shared are what made this song So let's raise a glass to our memories And hope we have many more times just like these Cause before you know it, my friend, we'll be gone, long gone 
And hopefully you have someone to love Hold him tight and raise your glass above Cause before you know it my friend will be Gone, long gone, gone, long gone So I'll keep on going, I'll keep on trucking You tie me down, I won't stop bucking Gonna keep picking on these six strings One day you'll see what my music brings And I'll thank all the ones who said to never quit And I'll laugh at all the others who gave me shit Regrets, they travel hand in hand with age My remedy's waiting for me up on center stage One day I'll be up here, yeah, in the spotlight Just doing what I love and everything will be alright Everything's gonna be alright Oh, everything will be alright tonight So let's raise a glass to our memories And hope we have many more times just like these Cause before you know it, my friend will be gone, long gone And hopefully you have someone to love Hold him tight and raise your glass above Cause before you know it, my friend will be gone, long gone Yeah, gone, long gone